Hello, hello, and welcome to this episode of Let's Get Vocal with Rena. As many of you know, I am a voice and speech geek, which means I'm obsessed with all things voice and communication. And I have especially in my life been obsessed with how we as human beings navigate those tricky conversations, the conversations in our home or in our workplace about the issues that really matter to us. And so often, if you're at all like me, you bungle them badly. And then, you know, the situation is worse than it was before you attempted the conversation. So I am so excited today to introduce my guest. Uh, Marianne Drew is a life coach and an expert on this subject. Hey, Marianne, welcome. Hi, Irina. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, I'm so excited that you're here. Now, you describe yourself as a transformation doula. Can you explain that to us? Uh, sure. Well, so a doula in the medical sense is someone who sort of helps along the birth of a child. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know if you would call that medical, but maybe it's more, you know, um, emotional, <laughs> social emotional. But um, that is a process that's going to happen whether there's a doula there or not. A baby's mm-hmm. going to be born. <laughs> right. Whether or not there's a doula, right? So Um, most people's transformation is going to happen no matter what, whether they have me as their coach or not. But what I do is facilitate that process. So it happens in a more, uh, well, let's say a less bumpy way, right? In a more inspired, more grounded way and a faster, more, um, efficient way. I see. So when you are coaching someone for this particular um, life issue, um, how long do your sessions go? Are they short-term, a small fix, or is it an ongoing lengthy process? Well, it depends on the person. Most people sign up for six months, 12 months, or 18 months. And then sometimes they'll do a six-month program, and I won't hear from them for a couple of years, and then they'll come back for another six-month program. I see. How cool. I want to back up just a little bit and tell our listeners how it is that you and I met, because Marianne is, is, is a new friend for me. I met her at a networking event just before the quarantine slammed down on us. It was like the last time we snuck out before they said, mm, not so much. But we sat next to each other. And, you know, you start that small talk of meeting new people. And within like seconds, Marianne and I are exchanging high-level information. We skipped the small talk, and and I recognized in her a wisdom, a wit, an intelligence. It's like, I just need to get to know this woman better. So I am so excited that we're going to get to have this extended conversation about this really important topic um, too. And when I met you, Rena, I felt like I already knew you somewhat because I was privileged enough to attend one of your trainings at Meridian Technology. 
Right. And so when I saw you, I knew I knew you and it took me a second to place you. And then it all came flooding back how great your presentation was. And I took a lot from that presentation. Oh, thank you so much. So what have you been doing um, since the quarantine? How are you writing it out? Well, I've mostly been sticking at home. The kids are home full time, which I was enjoying the first year of all three of my kids being in full-time school. <laughs> and <laughs> that didn't last long. <laughs> no, I was enjoying building my business and um, having a little sense of Marianne that isn't mommy back a little bit. I am a self-declared sort of introvert, introvert of sorts. And so I really like that me time. I really like that mm-hmm. solitude. And so um, that's been an adjustment. My husband was also home, working from home for three or four weeks during the quarantine. Mm -hmm. So we were all one big family at home, not always happy, but (laughs) (laughs) and the the distance learning, although very well supported by the kids' teachers, it was just, I was very impressed by how much work and effort that they put forth to give us the materials and, and the tools that we needed. Uh, I'm very much in awe of teachers and their ability to get all of those kids in one classroom doing the same thing at once. (laughs) Uh, I do have some experience with teaching. I did teach classrooms in China. I taught English. Uh, But yeah, it's different with your kids. They know that they can get away with stuff because you're going to love them no matter what. (laughs) Right, right. There are different rules and they know it. So now you live, you don't live in Tulsa. No, I live in Stillwater. Stillwater. I I think I told you I spent four years in Stillwater when I was teaching at OSU and I just love it. It is such a wonderful small town, but not, you know, it's a university town and, uh, and and of course, Eskimo Joe's and Joe's cheese fries are some of my favorite memories from Stillwater. Let's not talk about it too much because I don't want the secret out. <laughs> I feel like I found a, you know, diamond in the rough. Well, with all the Eskimo Joe's t-shirts all over the world, I don't think that secret is secret. I think it's definitely out. Yeah, my brother was in Mexico and he was walking behind somebody with an Eskimo Joe's t-shirt. I know. Hey, my sister lives there. <laughs> Buy your clothes at Eskimo Joe's. <laughs> me, I'm sorry, my son is breaking the rules. Oh, that's okay. I love this. Zoom personalizes our professional life in a way that we never would have never would have done. You know, I've seen clients petting their dogs and watching cats walk across keyboards <laughs> <laughs> and children come into the space. It's wonderful. It is wonderful. It, it takes that sterilization out of the, the you know, commerce and business. And, and it I mean, humanizes us. Yeah, it, it makes humanizes us. us. And, and, and I think it it's important, us. too, because... Um, we we sterilize the, the workforce environment to be devoid of emotion. Right. If anybody has a little bit of a temper tantrum and slams down a book or slams a, a door, somebody's complaining to HR. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like we're not allowed to have emotions and that's just not realistic. <laughs> it is not. And that brings me back to our topic with the enforced closeness of this time when our families, we're on top of each other 24-7 it brings into highlight 
how important these conversations are. Normally, if we're needing to have a conversation, an emotional conversation, we can put it off for months, for years, because we distract ourselves with all the activities of our life outside of this thing, right? And now that we are enforced to spend 24-7 with our partners, our families, we can't avoid those conversations. So how do you help your clients navigate those tricky conversations? Great question. Well, the first key in navigating those kinds of tricky conversations is realizing that it's not the conversation that you're avoiding. It's not the conversation that you're afraid of, because that circumstance is neutral, as are all circumstances. And that it's just the thought that you have about the conversation and the resulting feelings of those thoughts mm-hmm. that you're afraid of. So most people make decisions either going towards feeling something or avoiding feeling something. And so if you have a thought about a, a conversation that, oh, this is a threat to my safety because my safety is wrapped up in my relationship, mm-hmm. then that thought is going to make you feel fear and anxiety. <laughs> Right. Right. And so if you're not willing to feel your feelings, then you're not willing to have those conversations because it's not the conversation you're avoiding. You're avoiding the feelings that result from your mm-hmm. thoughts of the conversation. Um, so yeah, it's, it's us avoiding our emotions. Mm-hmm. And if you, and the reason we avoid our emotions is because we're not taught how to handle our emotions efficiently. Mm-hmm. Most of us are taught how to handle emotions by example by people who also don't know how to handle their emotions. Right. And that's usually by either avoidance, and that can take the form of any kind of addiction, any kind of checkout, any kind of zoning out, Mm -hmm. right? Watching TV, social media, scrolling, and substance abuse can take lots of forms of avoidance. Uh, Suppression, and that's just, you know, not wanting to feel your feelings, so you stuff them down inside and ignore them. Right. Right. And then there's repression, which is more of an automatic thing that your brain does to, to keep you alive the way your brain perceives <laughs> um, right. when you're having a really traumatic um, situation happen. And then uh, expression, where we just blow up at each other. Right. And that, that of course, is counterproductive as well. Correct. It's the, that's where your emotions get to be so big in your body that you can't suppress them any longer. Mm-hmm. You, you physically mm-hmm. and mentally can't do it. And this usually happens at the end of the day because we've all used up what's called our um, ego depletion or, or your willpower. Right. We use our minds to suppress our emotions all day and we, our willpower gets exhausted and then at the end of the day, we don't have any more left. So it blows yeah. up, right? And yeah. Blows and so a lot of people think that expression is healthy because, right, you get those emotions out of your body. They're not stuck anymore. They're not trapped. But what actually happens with that is you're expressing or you're blowing up the excess emotion so that it's small enough to suppress the, suppress the rest of it back down mm-hmm. again. <laughs> right. And, and often that explosion in one direction stimulates an explosion in the other direction. Yes. And, and you've compounded the amount of uncontrolled emotion. So when you're dealing with a client who is facing that kind of issue, do you help them through the emotion? Do you talk through it? Do you do role-playing? How do you help them find the words to communicate what's on their heart? Okay. So first, before you can communicate words, which is using your higher functioning part of your brain, 
Mm-hmm. You have to feel the emotion or you don't have to, but it's more efficient mm-hmm. to feel your emotion all the way through to the other side of it. So sometimes that means taking a step away from the interaction. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of people have learned to do this just by trial and error. They've realized that if they stay in the confrontation, they're going to say things that they don't mean mm-hmm. um, because they're emotionally motivated. And then they feel really bad about it. And they wonder why they said those things they don't really want to say, right? Right. Um, right. So they learn to take a step back and take some time to process their emotions. Mm -hmm. And this is something you can't think your way through. When I first learned this technique, I was a very cerebral intellectual type. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, I can can do this. I can Mm -hmm. think my way through emotions. And no, (laughs) this is a whole body experience. You have to experience Mm -hmm. your emotions and feel them. And you have to engage in self-talk that, or not self-talk, but Mm -hmm. self-soothing, reminding yourself that it's not going to kill you. Mm -hmm. Your your brain wants to believe that feeling emotions will make you self-destruct and that you Mm -hmm. want to die if you feel this emotion. Right. (laughs) So that's why we avoid them, right? Right. Uh, So just over practice, and re, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Reaffirming and reinforcing. That's the word mm-hmm. I'm looking for. Reinforcing the experience. If I feel this feeling, I won't die. I will be okay. Mm-hmm. That's in any fear, right? If you're afraid of jumping out of a plane, the first time it's awful. The second right. time it's awful. The third time it's a little less awful. And then by the fifth time you're a pro and you want to do it more and more. So is it is it a desensitization process that you take your clients through? Yeah, it's just feeling, it's called feel the fear and do it anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you just right. feel your emotions. You practice feeling mm-hmm. your emotions mm-hmm. enough, enough times that you, it becomes more automatic. It, has, it doesn't have to be something that's so uh, sort of stumbled around. Right. You know? It's just a skill like anything else. Mm-hmm. Feeling your emotions is a skill that you can learn by practice, just like anything else. And the only way we can practice that is if we practice having a space between stimulus and response. Because most of us just react to the stimulus right away right. from emotion. And if we can practice having a little bit of a pause, then that pause gets bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. And in that space, we can process our emotions and get through, get out of the limbic brain, the emotional part of the brain to be able to function in the higher functioning. And then once people are in that part of their brain, I teach them how to utilize a strategy called nonviolent communication. Mm, I love nonviolent communication. It's very effective. Yeah. Um, A lot of times when people start talking, they are ignoring emotions and they're trying to do a a communication or a connection that's just mental to mental, mm-hmm. right? My mm-hmm. brain is talking to your brain. Your brain is talking to my brain. And there's so much more to relationship than just your thoughts, mm-hmm. right? It's your feelings too. Mm-hmm. And so with nonviolent communication, you're speaking to emotions and needs. Right, right. When I first started learning nonviolent communication, I kept the feelings inventory and the needs inventory on my desk so that when I was preparing for, a, say, a, a conversation with a student that I was concerned about or a conversation with a colleague that I was going to need to have, I would mentally practice and look at the feelings list and get the right word that described how I feel. And then I'd look at the needs 
inventory and say, what is it that I really need? Is it autonomy? Is it mutual respect? Um, you know, is it independence? What is it that I, that I need? And then I would practice it. Now, it doesn't always go like you practiced, but at least your brain has gone through the pathway uh -huh, in a rehearsal before actually uh, doing it. And you um, spoke to the way the brain works in, when it comes to repetition. If you experience the conversation twice, one in your imagination. And, oh, me. I put that on. Do not disturb. I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, one, you've had the conversation twice, once in your imagination and once in reality. And so you've, you've sort of forged that neural pathway twice, two repetitions. Right. The repetition is what causes those neural pathways to be strengthened. And so the only reason we handle our emotions the way that we do, and the only reason we have beliefs about ourselves, right, those negative um, self-esteem beliefs about ourselves is because they're the most practiced thoughts right? and the most practiced coping mechanisms, the ways of coping with your emotions. And if you learn those over repetition and you found them to be inefficient and ineffective for getting the results you want, then you can unlearn them and relearn something else by the same method, which is repetition. Mm -hmm. And repetition is so cool because a lot of people say it takes time, but it's not incumbent on time. It's incumbent on repetition. So right. if you repeat it 15 times a day instead of once a day, you will make much more progress. You're forming those, those neural pathways more quickly and more distinctly. Correct. I was thinking about something today that I thought would be a great topic to talk to you about since you're, such, you're an expert on speech and communication. Mm -hmm. I've noticed a trend recently, and you know my degree is in linguistics, so I pay attention to words, the words that people choose. And this, this skill actually really helps me when I'm working with a client because the client thinks they're saying one thing they're actually saying what their subconscious mind thinks. Mm -hmm. And I catch it, I catch it with the words that they choose. And then I show them their mind and they think, did, oh, wow, did I say that? Did I say that? Yeah. Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I've noticed that there's a trend changing in our American English language that people are starting to use the word I feel instead of I think mm -hmm. so much more than they used to. Mm -hmm. So if someone asks you for your thoughts on things, people will often reply with, well, I feel, I feel. like I feel right. Mm -hmm. And they don't feel that it's a thought. And I remember um, when I first be became aware of it, my brother was a manager uh, over a lot of young people, like 16, 17, right. Right. and he was expressing frustration <laughs> that his employees were always saying, I feel like, and I feel like, and I feel like, and he would correct them and say, no, no, no. <laughs> You think. <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't know, but I think that that falls into the category of self-effacing talk. I don't want to really make a strong statement. So it's like, in my humble opinion, I kind of feel, right, so it's kind of coming in the back door with your opinion. It seems to soften it. It's like upspeak does the same thing. When you turn everything into a question, mm. you're actually saying, am I right? Yeah. Right? And you use the word just. Uh-huh. I just wanted to say. <laughs> you're, you're softening it because you're afraid to actually take a stand. That's my opinion about what might be happening there. Um, 
if I'm and I and I want to I want to go back now that we you know we've talked about the template of nonviolent communication, where the first step is to do an observation, an observation without judgment, and then we talked about feelings and needs, and finally the request, and I want to go back to the request. That's always hardest for me. What is it that I can legitimately request of this other person? How do you counsel through that part of the process? Wow, that's a great question. So a lot of people have trouble, and this is just through training, through societal training, that we don't deserve to have our needs met, that somehow we're wrong or bad for asking for things. And especially Mm -hmm. women, we're cultured, we're... um, you know, socially engineered (laughs) Mm -hmm. to be helpers, right. And rescuers and doing all the things. And so we get really good at giving and nurturing and caretaking, but when it comes to accepting help for ourselves or asking for help, we feel ashamed. Right. Which, I mean, that's just the other side of the coin. Mm -hmm. If, if help is great, then why is it only great to give? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. So that's just a social conditioning Mm -hmm. thing. Um, it's a belief that's over repetition is, you know, over lots of repetition that I don't deserve to have my needs met. And when you can flip that script and start that radical self-love, and this is foundational for my coaching is Mm -hmm. practicing the experience of loving yourself, not just thinking that you love yourself. That's Mm -hmm. just, that's all thought. That's more thought. Mm -hmm. The actual experience of feeling the love in your heart expand to your whole body mm-hmm. and that radical That's acceptance simple. of you and, the, and that truth that is the mm-hmm. truth for everyone that we're all worthy of love mm-hmm. that we're all worthy of having our needs met and and acceptance also that we're human and that we have needs a lot of people are socially conditioned to feel shamed that they have needs because somehow we're supposed to rise above our humanity we're not supposed to you know, being human makes us weak because of right. original sin or some kind of craziness. Yeah. yeah. And so coming to terms with the reality that we're human and because we're a human, we have needs. The most baseline of which is the need for connection. Right. Connection is paramount need for all humans that goes above food and water and shelter. Mm-hmm. If a baby's born and, ha- and doesn't experience touch, touch, human touch, it will die. Right. So yeah. just admitting that and accepting that and making it not wrong and bad, making it totally okay. Mm-hmm. And practicing that thought over and over and practicing feeling the emotion that comes from that thought. It's okay for me to be human. And I think a lot of people get this idea that it's not okay to be human and have needs because when we make human mistakes, when as children, we're reprimanded very harshly. Yes especially in our culture mm-hmm. and our parents have an expectation that we should have learned this by now because they, you know, we practice it twice <laughs> right? and we should be able to be perfect at it. And I am not immune to being that parent that falls into that unconscious berating and go and I have to stop myself and go, wait a second. They haven't had enough practice. Mm-hmm. They've had training, but there's, it's not just training it's training plus practice. Right. Right. I have to remind myself of that. And so we get conditioned over time that if we, if we are human, that there was somewhere somehow wrong or bad. Right. Right. Um, 
I wish that we had more time to talk today. We're almost at the end of our time. And this is just so wonderful to talk with you. You are so intelligent and wise and so articulate about this subject. And uh, and I want to let our listeners know how they can find you if they're inspired by you or want to follow up with you uh, as a client, perhaps. How can they get in touch with you? Sure. They can go to my website. That's maryandrew.com. And it's spelled M-E-R-I-A-N-N-E-D-R-E-W.com. And they can click on work with me and schedule a complimentary discovery session. And that's totally free where we can talk for about 60 minutes, where we explore what's going on in their situation. What is it that they're trying to create as a result in their life, but they're just not able to, no matter their greatest efforts uh, and most noble efforts, they're just not able to create the result that they want, whether it's in their relationship or their career or in their parenting. Um, we're going to figure out on that call exactly what the disconnect is, exactly why they're not able to get the results that they want. And then we're going to, I'm going to show them exactly how they can get the results that they want. And then on that call, they can make a decision whether or not life coaching will help them create that result. Oh, well, that's wonderful. And and I just can't thank you enough for being with us today. Um, This has been wonderful. Um, And to the listeners, you can always find me at www.myvocalauthority.com. If you have a question about your voice or about presentation or performance anxiety, anything related to communicating in front of an audience, you can reach me through my website, myvocalauthority.com. And I want to leave you with a communication tip of the day. Ground and center before you have the tricky conversations. Grounding means come in contact with the floor, your feet against the floor. You draw energy and power up from the earth. Gravitas, that sense of being important in the room, starts with your feet. And of course, centered means breathe deeply, breathe centrally. The last thing that I always share before we sign off, again, thank you, Marianne, until we can continue this conversation. Remember, breathe deeply, speak your truth boldly, and the world will listen. Bye for now.